0: Good morning, everyone. Hello. Thanks for being here. Uh, hey, I would like to invite you to join me in prayer, really quickly. Lord God, uh, we just thank you for this day, this moment, the privilege that it is to gather uh, as a people in your name and uh, Holy Spirit. Uh, we invite you right now just into this place, and uh, we recognize your your power and your authority over our hearts, and that you lead us to truth. And so uh, we. Jesus, we call on your name right now, the power and the authority of your name, your blood that washes us from sin and your new life, your resurrection life that has conquered death, that today as we continue in this gathering, that you would be the dominant personality and that your life and your spirit would reign and rule in our hearts as you teach us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Love talking to God with you guys. how many of you know Jeff and Tara Matson? We've got a lot of hands, but okay, we will have some introductions. So uh, context, we are week two in a four week series called Peace of Mind. This is a series where we want to look at what God's word, the authority of scripture has to say about our mental health. Lots of conversations in the world about mental health, what it is and how we can approach it and how it's declining in the West in particular. But we want to know what God has to say about it. What are the timeless truths that we can apply in our lives? And we're blessed in our church to have godly Christian professionals that have dedicated their lives to pursuing mental health, not just the uh, uh, integrating a timeless, godly, biblical understanding of mental health with the practical realities of what God's revealing to us through clinical research and neuroscience. So over these, last, over these four weeks, we are inviting some of those people that are part of our very body to teach us and help us understand more how we can live out a whole, a holistic life that's um, integrated with the Word of God and with how our daily lives operate. And so Bill Town, our lead pastor, wanted to introduce our speaker today, Uh, but he sent me a text yesterday while I was pulling weeds in my yard and said, I'm grounded on a tarmac in Newark and it doesn't look good. (laughs) Will you please introduce our speaker, Tara Mattson? So I get the privilege of introducing her. She is, uh, this is home court for Tara and her husband, Jeff. They've been part of Rolling Hills for 22 years. I'll talk more about that, but I think sometimes we take for granted how special it is that they are here, um. I'm going to get out my notes and put on my cheater glasses for this. There's a lot of letters after Tara's name and credentials that I think you ought to know about. I was impressed. I'm like, oh, yeah, wow. Tara is uh, a licensed professional counselor. That's what LPC is, right? All right. And licensed marriage and family therapist. She and her husband uh, are co-founders and co-CEOs of Living Wholehearted, which is a professional counseling organization as well as a leadership coaching organization. They've also founded the nonprofit Courageous, which helps provide free curriculum to moms to help raise their girls up to be godly, brave, courageous women in an era and an age when there's a lot of confusion about what that means. Uh, They're helping provide resources that families, moms and and their daughters can be raised up to understand who they are in Christ. She's the author of the book Courageous, which takes a lot of those Courageous Girls principles and and puts them into a a published book. She's the co-author of Shrinking the Integrity Gap with her husband, Jeff. Her speaking and her writing has been featured in Christianity Today, Focus on the Family, Family Life Today, Catalyst organization, the American Association of Christian Counselors, and more. She speaks all over the country. Today, we get her here. Because Rolling Hills is home court for Tara. She and Jeff have been members, as I mentioned, for 22 years. Their daughters, Addie and Nevi, have been raised and born here and are being discipled here. They're active in our student ministry. Um, What else? There's so many things. Um, of all the credentials that Tara has, my favorite are that she's a child of God, just like we sang about. She's a devoted wife and mother, a student of scripture, and a dear family friend. Will you please join me in welcoming your fellow Rolling Hills member, Tara Matson?
1: Aaron's like a brother. I should punch him right now. <laughs> Thank you. Well, my first year of being a professional counselor, I was working here at Rolling Hills um, as the first Wholeness Director. And then a couple days out of the week, I was working um, at the Washington County Jail. I wasn't serving time, I was actually counseling those who were incarcerated. And so I would toddle back and forth between our home church and the county jail, and God was teaching me something really important at that time in my life. It was really for me personally, and was setting the the foundation for all the things that he would call Jeff and I to do in the years ahead. But I would sit with these clients at the county jail, and I would hear their stories, stories of divorce and abuse, stories of isolation, poverty, and leading to crime, meth addiction, and other ways of coping. And then I would come to the church and I would sit with people like you and I. And we would look all put together. We'd have, I'd have my lipstick and the woman in front of me would have her lipstick on and her really nice purse, just came out of her nice SUV. And we would talk about what was really going on in her story and her husband years and years and years of distance through sex addiction, four to five miscarriages and continued hope that God would restore their marriage. They wanted to have a baby. And as I dug deeper and deeper to find that there were layers and layers of suffering and trauma, but nobody would know because of the way they looked. And so the Lord was just teaching me, it doesn't matter how we package our lives, we are all impacted by suffering and trauma. Whether we like it or not, it's a part of the communities we live in, and it's a part of our stories, too. In fact, we don't like it. Western culture is the most addicted culture in the history of humankind. We use everything to avoid pain. My personal favorite is chocolate chip cookies. In all seriousness, I have a history of using food and exercise and binging and purging to deal with my own pain and suffering. And it's taken me years to learn how to feel and process and think and be um, and to grieve and to understand my own story so that I can do that for others. We have a lot of coping strategies, some of them really good and some of them not so good. We shop. We work really hard. Some of us were workaholics. Many of us are really busy. That's a very clever one. We serve and we try to give God all our time. And then we struggle with social media and spending too much and addictions and substance use. And then the list goes on. But it's all a way to try to uh, numb what we are facing and what is chasing us behind us, are stories. And we need a place to be able to face reality. M. Scott Peck, a psychiatrist who wrote the book The Road Less Traveled said that mental health is a dedication to reality at all cost. I love this definition because so much of our coping in life is about fantasy, It's about what if I could just stop all of this and run from all of the suffering and the trauma, if I could just turn it off, if I could just have one more vacation. Did you know that our dopamine fixes, this wonderful hormone that God gave us to help us feel pleasure, is higher when we're planning planning a vacation than when we actually go on the vacation It's so fascinating how God made us, but the anticipation of something exciting, the fantasy, gives us more of a fix of pleasure hormone than reality itself. You can see why we are after so much fantasy in our life. When God says, I want you to live in reality with me, with the reality of who I am, the reality of who I say you are, and the reality of your story. John 8, 31, 32, Jesus says, "'If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, "'and you will know the truth, "'and the truth will set you free.'" I love that phrase, the truth will set you free, because I think Jesus, he was obviously talking about the truth of his word, the truth of himself as being the word of God, but he was also just saying the truth. The truth will set you free. If we could be honest about who we are and what we've been through, there's some freedom in that. And we're all seeking peace and trying to find it, some in healthy ways, some in not so healthy ways. You know, one of the results of unresolved trauma and ongoing suffering is living a compartmentalized life. It's where we fragment and we try to dissociate Consciously or unconsciously, and dissociating, meaning, if only I could think different, then the rest of my life would be all better. And though memorizing scripture is a profound way to find peace, it is not the only way, and it isn't acknowledging all of who we are. Some of us spend time journaling and feeling and talking about our stories but we aren't engaging the reality of our bodies and then our neurobiology and the back injury you had probably need to go to the doctor to address that. We can't just focus on one part of who we are. God wants all of us. He wants us to bring all of who we are. And you've heard this again and again. You even heard it last week from Pastor Bill and Pastor Bill when they were sharing But Jesus says when asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says it in lots of different places. But in Mark 12, 29 through 31, he says, Jesus answered that the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And there's no other greater commandment than this, I wanna propose something to you. It's really hard to love other people when we have a hard time loving ourselves and receiving the love that God has brought us. And if we only love our minds, then that's really all we have to give in loving others. We don't want their emotions. We don't want their stories. We don't want their brokenness if we haven't done our own work of bringing all of who we are before God. Those of us who have been in reality with our suffering and our trauma are able to have more compassion for those around us. In fact, the word compassion means suffer with. So if we have a hard time suffering and going there in our own stories, we're gonna have a really hard time doing that with others. God knows this. This is how he made us. So part of growing in our ability to love God with all of who we are, we gotta bring all of who we are to him. And our ability to love others as we love ourselves, is to start to grow in reality, in acceptance of our reality, of our stories and our trauma. Now I'm using suffering and trauma and I wanna define those before I continue when we move into the scriptures. So I've been working in the trauma field for about 20 years and God has really shown me so many pieces that are misunderstood. And Dr. Vander Kolk, one of the founders of the term trauma and researchers, he's really provided most of the research that has changed the whole culture of how we help people move through trauma. His definition is this, trauma is anything out of the ordinary that leaves us feeling helpless and powerless. Wow anything out of the ordinary. So you're driving to work, you get in a car accident. Now is it traumatic just because you got in a car accident? Not necessarily, but if it leaves you feeling that sense of powerless and helpless, like every time you get back in the car and you're you're nervous about all the other drivers out there and the fact that your life, you thought you were going this direction and then er, you're going left. Now, car accidents are common things we think about, but there are so many other traumas that happen in our stories. Our parents get divorced. We go through a divorce. There's continual betrayal within our relationships. We lose our jobs. Our spouse, who we trusted for many years, has been hiding an addiction. There's lots and lots of ways we experience suffering and trauma. And this picture of a baseball going through a window is there intentionally to help us understand that we get fixated on what kind of trauma went through the window. But I'm here to tell you, that's not what matters. It doesn't matter whether it was a marble, a golf ball, a baseball, or a bowling ball. It's the fact that that window was shattered and you're left with the results and the consequences of that, that is, what needs to be healed and that is what needs to be addressed and that is what God's heart is on. So whether it's big T trauma or little T trauma, it matters. It matters to God that your window was broken and there's suffering and fragmentation. We had some research done right after 9-11, we, the mental health field, there was some research done on Katrina and 9-11 where we saw the impact of what happens after trauma. So the research tells us it's not so much what you've experienced, it's how people respond to you after what you experienced that matters most, and whether you will have long-term effects of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. What they saw was after 9-11, we grieved as a greater community. Even though we weren't there, and maybe some of you were impacted directly by 9-11, majority of us were distantly impacted even around the world, but we grieved together. And we talked about it again and again, and in fact, even today, we still memorialize and talk and remember. After Katrina, it was a short trauma. People came in, helped, and then we all forgot and the survivors of Katrina were left alone, and nobody really wanted to talk about it anymore. And what they found was after 9-11 and after Katrina, the levels of PTSD were significantly higher because of, again, not being able to process what happened. It's human nature wanting to run and push the past in the past, but the past will keep haunting us unless we're able to bring it all before our God, and before one another, to be able to actually tell our stories and receive that comfort and care. It's a part of the equation. And if you're anything like me, you might get stuck in the question, why God did this happen to me? Why? I spend sessions after sessions working through this question, why God, why God? And I've often wondered, is that really the question we're supposed to be asking? Is it why, God? Because honestly, none of us know. Scripture has three reasons why suffering happens, and I don't like any of them. (laughs) So, Just put my opinion out there. (laughs) But before I share about the why, I wanna share that the fact that you're not alone because the disciples are actually pretty good at asking this question throughout the scriptures. So before I go to that slide, I wanna read you this quick passage here where Jesus runs into a blind man. So he says, as he went along in John nine, one through three, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. So if you've asked why, you're not alone. Even the disciples, there's this tendency to be like, something must have gone wrong. Must have been you who sinned or the parents. Why, why, why? And God says, no, I'm doing something here because it's about me. This happens so that I can be glorified and I can show you who I am in the midst of a broken world. So those three reasons that the scriptures give us, the fall, it is Adam and Eve's fault. (laughs) The beginning, the world was broken. We see collision between man and woman, we see collision between man and God, and we see collision in all of creation. And it's still playing a snowball-out effect today. So when we see earthquakes and tsunamis, when abuse and institutions are falling apart, It's the cause of the fall. And then we have the cost of our own sin. We see that throughout scripture. You can probably think of several situations in scripture yourself. King David's a common one. You know, he had an affair. He tried to uh, murder a man or get him killed. And there are consequences that God does not save us from, though there is still grace and our relationship doesn't get affected by that, there is a cost around us. And then there is just trials. I think this one's the hardest one for us because these are the ones that God has clearly allowed to happen in our stories. And we don't always know the difference between which is the fall, which is because of us, and which one is because God is allowing this to happen to grow our faith muscles. These are more of the sufferings that will happen because he's trying to prepare us for something. Think about if any of you are athletes and the the goals you might've set at some point, you wanna run a 5K or you wanna run a marathon, you have to go through a process of suffering and training to build those muscles so that you're ready. So God allows hard things in our stories, in our kids' stories, and in our stories to grow our muscles. Now, I wanna be very clear. I am not saying that God ordained abuse and sin. That is part of the cost of the fall and our consequences of, our, of sin. And sometimes we have to live with the cost of other people's sin. But sometimes he does allow hard things to happen in our stories. Trials, trials to grow our faith. One of my favorite stories and moments with Jesus is where we're gonna turn, where we see someone like Rolling Hills member and someone from the Washington County Jail coming together and seeing them at a moment of trauma and suffering. It's the story of the healing of two daughters in Luke 9, nope, 8, Luke 8, Verse 40 through 48. You're welcome to join me there if you want to get into your Bible, but otherwise it'll be on the screen. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd became or welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. And then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet and pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about twelve, was dying. And as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. So before we go on, I want to just talk a little bit about the trauma of this bleeding woman. You see this parallel of these two people, Jairus, who has a name. He is a church leader. He's a synagogue leader, and people know who he is. And he has um, an awareness that Jesus has an ability to heal, and he's coming to find healing for his daughter. And right in the middle of that, as they're gonna go to his house to heal his daughter, this bleeding woman comes along who's nameless. She doesn't even have a name. That tells you something. 12 years of bleeding. Now, just having chronic illness One of the sad truths is that chronic illness is one of the top reasons we struggle with deep depression, anxiety, and even suicide. Chronic illness, when you are continually battling pain and suffering in the physical way, is brutal. That's traumatic in and of itself for 12 long years. And as a woman, I don't wish bleeding for 12 years on anybody. Because in this culture, the Jewish culture, blood was very unclean, especially a woman who was on her monthly cycle. And in the Leviticus law, the Israelites all knew that when she was on her cycle, she had to be put away from the community. Her husband could not touch her. Nobody can touch her. In fact, if that woman, any clothes that she wore, any couch she might've sat on, anything that she was near would become unclean. And anyone who touched that became unclean. This woman had massive cooties. You think about the middle school trauma of being the kid nobody wants to touch, nobody wants to be around. For 12 long years, she lost everyone. Her mom, her dad, her sisters, her brothers, her friends. Walking down the street, nobody wanted to be around her. She didn't even have a name. The ripple effect of our stories gets greater, the more isolated we are. And so I can feel the impact of this woman's trauma. So much, so much pain. In Mark 5, it says that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Now, she's been to every doctor, probably every therapist, and she's been trying her best to find healing. She's spent all her money and she's desperate and at the end of her rope. So let's see what happens next and how Jesus responds. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, before we continue, I just want to draw attention to that word touch. This word in this context is actually more than just like a touch. It means she grabbed and locked on to the end of his robe. Now, because she's unclean, in that context, she would have made Jesus, unclean. So she is risking in the middle of a crowd. Everybody could be unclean in that moment. She doesn't care. She's desperate. And she latches on to the end. Now Jesus asks, who touched me? I think he knew who touched him. But there's a moment in our life where God's asking us to come out and be honest and to use our voice me i need you jesus i'm tired of hiding my story and my suffering and pretending all is okay i need you so we go on and it says but jesus said someone touched me and then the woman seeing that she could not go unnoticed (laughs) he called her out came trembling and fell at his feet and in the presence of all the people she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, this moment when she touches Jesus, she's instantly healed, but it's at a soul source level. She experienced physical healing, but at that moment, the Lord restored her dignity. He says, you are no longer unclean. You are clean. You are no longer alone. You are my daughter. And he says this in front of everyone to set the record straight. She belongs to me and I see you and I see your pain. It's one of my favorite moments between Jesus and the bleeding daughter. I can imagine his face and his response I think so often (laughs) we wanna respond with compassion to one another's sufferings, but we come with these trite sayings because we're uncomfortable and we don't know what to do, and sometimes less is more. (laughs) And just being able to hold tight to her identity as daughter is gonna be the main work of keeping her peace. Because you know what? This woman now has to go back into her community where all of those people around her have seen her as unclean, who know her story. And the people who have neglected her and shunned her, she still has to do some repair there, and she still has to grieve, and she still has to figure out how to live and to trust a new community. There's a lot more work to do. So sometimes we think, Jesus healed me, but we go, oops, yeah, (laughs) there's more here, (laughs) the layers. But she's gonna always have to remember, it takes an instant. You come to Jesus and your identity is restored. You are a daughter and you are no longer unclean. And that is where we find our peace. Now I couldn't go on from this passage without inviting you to watch the scene that The Chosen did about the bleeding woman. And I'm so sad to say that those of you listening at home are not gonna be able to watch it with us, but uh, there is a slide that gives you a link that'll invite you to go watch it if you'd like right now, or you can do it later. But for the rest of us, this is seven minutes long, so get comfortable, enjoy your imaginary popcorn, and I want you to imagine yourself there in the scene and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And I will be back in a minute. So those of you joining us back um, from online, I hope you take time to go watch that at some point. Every time I see The Chosen, I just always think I really like Jesus. (laughs) I really like Jesus. You see the way he held her face and touched her. Nothing, nothing, nothing in our stories No trauma, no suffering, nothing you've been hiding can keep us from his love. And there are consequences and costs that keep going. And in this situation, Jesus heals her. And we think, oh, if only I had enough faith and maybe all the suffering I have and the trauma will have been healed. But he's not talking about faith and healing, he's talking about faith in Jesus in that restoration of a relationship, of no longer being alone, of having an eternal hope that goes beyond this life. He's so glad that we find each other when we come to Him. My question for you as we end today is, who are you in the story? Maybe you're the bleeding woman today who has suffered for so long, maybe in silence, maybe you've gone to everywhere and everyone and tried everything and you've been left empty. And it's time to come to Jesus in your desperation and to grab hold and not let go. Maybe you're Jairus who looks the part and everyone respects and knows, but there is so much pain and hurt going on as you fear for those you love or maybe something in your own story. And you've been waiting for Jesus to heal, but it seems like he's taking his time healing everybody else, but not you and your needs. Have you been there before? I loved the picture of Jairus in this passer and chosen because you see him pausing and watching what Jesus is doing in the midst of his own emergency. His daughter is dying. And yet Jesus is showing him something. He wants him to stop and notice what he's doing over here. So maybe that's you today. And God's saying, I want you to see what I'm doing in other people's lives before you see me do it in yours. and maybe you're part of the crowd, that you're just kind of watching this thing happen, maybe a little skeptical of those disciples or (laughs) not sure where you fit in the crowd and you're just watching. We're glad you're a part of this, that you're close enough to wanna be near Jesus and that you'll hang out long enough. Sometimes we get distracted by the crowds when our attention needs to be drawn to Jesus. He's different. And some of us are the religious. Maybe we feel like we have to protect Jesus from everyone. We don't want him to become unclean. <laughs> people to mess up our faith with him. We put too many barriers and rules and shoulds, a coulds, a woulds a in the mix, keeping people from the heart of the Lord maybe you're just a grateful follower today who's remembering your own story of healing and being called daughter or son and to celebrate and to have a heart of gratitude as we close today remember because it helps you to have compassion to not go too fast and to turn towards those who are needing our hearts and our mind and our body and our souls to turn towards them. And as we pray, I just want you to come before God in that image of where you feel like you are and wherever you are at right now, it's okay. So let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that you meet us right where we are and that you are doing a work in our life. We don't understand the whys. But I ask that we would all have a posture to open our hands and to ask you what? What do you want me to do with this? And to have courage to come forward and to bring it all to you and to let a few others join me in the process. Help me to remember, Lord. Help us to remember that no matter our story and where we are at in the journey, we will always be called your daughters and son, and that will not change. That is secure, and you call us clean, and that is what brings us peace. We love you, and we thank you that you have made a way for us to have a relationship with you, and we just ask that you'd continue to minister to us. And for those who are really hurting today, I just pray an extra, um, just a word, a love, a hug, something that would speak specifically to them, that they would know that they are seen, that you see them, that you even cry with them, and that you call them daughter and son. We love you, Lord, and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. (laughs) 呵 <laughs>